Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week we wrap up our four-part series entitled The First Family's Christmas, Life Lessons from the First Christmas. And before we move on, on behalf of everyone here at the Church at Rocky Peak, we hope you and yours have a very Merry Christmas. And now, to sum up the series, today's message is from our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, and it's entitled, Emmanuel, the Ultimate Gift. One of my heroes in life is probably a man you've never heard of. His name is Stephen Kowalski. He was a, uh, a Polish priest. He was born in the 1930s, early 1930s. He became a priest at age 27, and his first assignment was to go to live with the poorest of the poor in one of the poorest cities of the world, the city of Calcutta, India. So in 1960, he packed up and moved from from Europe, where he was uh, born and was raised in Poland. And he moved to uh, Calcutta to serve and to live amongst the poorest of the poor. And when he first got there, the, uh, the priests in the area welcomed him and they tried to persuade him to come and live with them on the church compound. That's what all the priests did. And it was much safer, much nicer and so on. But he said, no, he had this burning passion in his heart to live with the poorest of the poor. He felt the need to be with them, to share their, their life and to share the love of Christ with them. And how can you do that if you're not with people? And so they finally persuaded them, and so they gave up, and they gave him a guide. And the guide took him to one of the poorest slums in the whole city. Ironically, it was called the City of Joy, Anand Nagar. As he came in that first day, he was blown away by what he saw. Calcutta itself is so poor, but this is one of the oldest slums in the city. It had the distinction of being, at the time, the densest population on the planet. This small little section of the city was only about the size of three football fields, and yet it had 70,000 people living there. In fact, at that time, the rate of population was 200,000 people per square mile in the city of Joy. So he moves into this area, and he just can't believe what he sees. The author Dominique LaPierre, who wrote the book City of Joy... He's also written a couple other books that you may have heard of. One was called Is Paris Burning? It was about the Allied liberation of Paris in World War II. He's a very respected author. He wrote the book, Oh, Jerusalem, about the establishment of Israel as a, as a nation state in 1948, the events that led up there. Well, he writes about Stephen Kowalski in his book, City of Joy, and he describes what the priest saw that day as he came in. I want to read you a little bit about that. He says, by now 70,000 inhabitants had congregated on an expanse of ground hardly three times the size of a football field. That included some 10,000 families. It boasted a sad record. It had the densest concentration of humanity on the planet, 200,000 people per square mile. I didn't even think that was possible. Like, how do you pack people in? It was a place where there was not even one tree for every 3,000 inhabitants without a single flower, a butterfly, a bird, except for the vultures and crows. It was a place where children grew up not even knowing what a bush, a forest, or a pond was, where the air was so laden with carbon dioxide and sulfur that pollution killed at least one member in every family, a place where men and beasts baked in a furnace for eight months of the year until the monsoon came and transformed their alleyways and shacks into lakes of mud and excrement, a place where leprosy and tuberculosis, dysentery, and all the malnutrition diseases, 
until recently reduced the average life expectancy to one of the lowest in the world. They had 8,500 cows and buffalo there tied up to dung heaps where they could provide milk infected with germs. Above all, the city of joy was a place where the most extreme economic poverty ran rife. Nine out of ten of its inhabitants did not have a single rupee per day with which to buy half a pound of rice. Considered a dangerous neighborhood with a terrible reputation, the haunt of untouchables, pariahs, social rejects, it was a world apart, living apart from the world. It was into this city of joy that our priest went that very first day, taken by a guide, He could hardly make it through the crowded streets. And one of the first things that he had to do was find a place to live. And the guide helped him find a place to rent. It was not much of a place. It was a little shack. It had no windows. And it was three feet wide and six feet long. It had an earthen floor, missing tiles in the ceiling so that when it rained, the rain came through. The sun came through during the day. Right outside his front door, there was a a black trough, uh, where the sewage would run, black slime, nauseating. Across the street, huge pile of rubbish and refuse. Inside, no electricity, no running water. And into the city of joy, this priest moved voluntarily. The people were blown away in the city of joy. They knew it was the most wretched place on earth to live. They couldn't believe that a white European male, a sahib, A priest, no less, a priest in jeans and tennis shoes (laughs) would move into their neighborhood voluntarily. That night as the sun began to go down, he lay down in his his, uh, little hut and he began to unpack the few possessions that he'd brought. He had a Bible, he had a razor, he had a shaving brush and a toothbrush, he had a little medicine box that was given to him by his friends. He had one change of underwear. He had one extra shirt. And as he lay there in the darkness, these people in the neighborhood who had so little themselves were just blown away that he would come. And so they began to bring gifts. And one brought a mat, and one brought a lantern, and one brought some matches, and one brought a bucket as they began to reach out to him in the midst of their poverty. And as he laid down that night, he was just so happy to be there. Something within him had driven him that he had to be with these people. He wanted to love them. He wanted to share the love and the life of Christ. There was no way to do that without being there in their midst. And so he lived out his life there in the city of joy voluntarily. He shared their food. He learned their language. When he moved in, he didn't even know a person He didn't know their language. In fact, in order to learn their language, he had to compare the Jerusalem Bible that he brought with a Hindi Bible and a Bengali dictionary to even make sense of the language. And there he lived his life. He shared their fate. He shared their diseases. And he loved them in the name of Christ. Now, it's an amazing story and I'm sure some of you are saying, well, Mike, what does that do with Christmas? You know, what, what's it about Christmas? I, I get the story. I get why you like the guy. I get why you admire him. But 
I can see why he's one of your heroes, but why at Christmas? And I'll tell you why. is because every time I read the story of Stephen Kowalski, and I've read it more than once, I always think of Jesus and what he gave up to come and be with us. You see, I, I, I've never been to heaven. I don't really understand that. I, I have no conception of how cool it is and what it must be like to go from heaven to earth and the price he paid. But I understand what it would be like to move in a place like that in India. And I know that Jesus gave up more than Stephen Kowalski. And so every time I read his story, I just can't believe it. You know, I was doing research for this message. I was online. I came across an article in Forbes magazine from 2005. It was a story of the 10 most expensive, nicest, gated communities in the United States. I was really intrigued. I wanted to see if Simi Valley was in there. I was deeply disappointed. But I began to read about these communities, lavish communities, communities of luxury. We have a couple right here. Well, we don't have any in Simi, but in the, in the valley you've got some. You know, in, the, in L.A. we've got some over here. Um, one was called Beverly Park. Uh, one was called Brentwood Country Estates. Wealthy people live here. Famous people live here. People like Denzel Washington. People like Eddie Murphy. People like Kelsey Grammer. In the third most expensive one, Beverly Park, you, you can get a starter home there for only 12 million bucks. It's a deal. Steal. I'll take two. Uh, kind of the going price of a home when this article was written was 35 million. Uh, but a lot of homes there, they said, are probably worth twice that. Just none were for sale right now. You just have to be patient, you know, kind of wait, wait for your time. And we can picture a place like that, can't we? Just an amazing place. Now, can you imagine, let's fast forward here about a week from now. It's New Year's. We're making our New Year's resolution. You pick up the LA Times and there's a story of one of these famous people. Let's say it's Denzel. He's my favorite. Denzel has made a decision. He's heard about this place in India and in Calcutta called the City of Joy. And his heart's going out for these people and he just feels a need to be with them. And so he's selling everything, liquidating all his assets, giving his house away. He's moving to live in a three by six place in the city of joy. Now you're like, like, that's not going to happen. People of wealth, people of luxury, people of privilege and power, they don't give up. Like, they don't give up Beverly Park to go and live in a place like the city of joy. That doesn't happen. (laughs) And I know it doesn't. But that's the closest I can get to understanding what Jesus gave up to move to planet Earth. I don't think we have any idea what it cost for him just to come to this planet. The Apostle Paul once wrote about this. There in your note sheet, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he just puts it this way. <laughs> For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that's kind of understatement of the century or the world at all time. <laughs> he, he was rich. And when you made the world, I would say you're rich. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. 
You know, it's a fascinating thing. You know, Christmas time, we talked about this some last week. You know, when God decided to become one of us, he could have chosen any family to be born into. And yet, I don't know if you've ever really thought about this, and we kind of miss this, you know, with the manger and the wise men and the shepherds and the whole story. We often miss kind of the obvious that he chose to be born poor. He could have been born anyway, but he chose to be born poor. His parents were so poor, they could not afford a Motel 6 in the city of David when they went visiting, when he was born. Now you might say, well, Mike, that's not how this story goes. It wasn't they couldn't afford it. It says there was no room for him in the end. That's how the story goes. Can I tell you something? There's always room for someone with enough money. The reason there was no room for them at the end was because they couldn't pay a premium. They didn't have the money. When Jesus was born, we know the story, he was born in a barn. Can you imagine, you imagine Jesus growing up? He leaves the front door open. His mom says, hey, Jesus, you left the door open. What do you think, you're born in a barn? <laughs> mom, actually, I was, remember? <laughs> Some of you have children. Remember how you took care of your firstborn? Not so much the secondborn, but... Remember the firstborn and how, how you got the room ready ahead of time? You remember that? It's like you get the nursery ready or whatever room you're going to put the child in. You get the right bassinet, the right crib. You get it all painted up. You have a shower. Everything's got to be perfect for your child because, you know, it's the next president of the United States right here. You remember that? And then, and how careful you were with your child. You know, Mary and Joseph had never heard the story of Christmas. They never sung the songs about the manger. They never sung about Silent Night and how cool it was. Never heard joy to the world, you know. All they knew is they're, they're poor and tired and they couldn't afford a Motel 6. And so, where are we going to have this baby? Can you imagine Mary turning to Joseph and saying, but Joseph, my, my baby, it's, the baby's coming. What are we going to do with the baby? And Joseph's saying, well, Mary, I don't know, but we'll find a place. Well, I, I don't know. There's, there's, a, there's a feeding trough over here. I, I know the, the animals have been slobbering in it, and, but I'll clean it up the best I can, you know, and I'll put my clothes down. Can you imagine taking your firstborn home from the hospital and cleaning out your dog dish where your dog's been eating and saying, well, I got a big dog, and I think this baby's small, and we'll put a blanket in here. We'll put them in the dog dish. They're poor people. Forty days later, it's time for them to travel to Jerusalem for Mary to go through her purification rites. The law required that you take a lamb with you and the lamb was slaughtered as part of the sacrifice for your purification. But you know, when they went, they couldn't afford a lamb. They had to buy two doves, the sacrifice of the poor that the law allowed for the poorest of poor people to provide. Not long after that, King Herod hears about this and they become a family of immigrants, a family of refugees as they traveled to Egypt to try to scrape out a living. When they come back, they're still so poor, they can't afford a mortgage in a nice neighborhood. They have to move into the, the other side of the tracks, a place called Nazareth. We know it now, it's famous. Back then, it was the wrong side of town. In fact, when Jesus grew up and his first disciples started following him, they were like, you sure you came from Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. 
It's the wrong side of town. Messiahs don't come from places like Nazareth. But that's where he grew up. And when he began, went into ministry, one man came up to him and said, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. And he said, you might want to stop and think about that. Because currently I'm homeless. I don't have a place to lay my head. And when he died, there was no estate. There was no will. There was no probate. He owned nothing except the clothes on his back. You see, Jesus grew up and lived as a poor man. When he said, blessed are the poor, he wasn't talking about somebody else. And how often we miss the obvious of what he paid up. You know, the reason I love the story of Stephen Kowalski is because I don't understand the story of Jesus. I I don't really get what he gave up. I've never been to heaven. I don't know what that's like. But I can picture moving from Beverly Park to the city of joy, and I can't believe this step down, and I can't believe anyone would do it voluntarily. And when I read the Bible and understand that Jesus took a bigger step to come down from heaven to earth, it helps me to dial it in. It helps me to understand. It helps to make it real, the price he paid. Sometimes I think to myself, yeah, but you know, Jesus only lived here 33 years. How bad could it be? And I, then I feel like, God, Mike, what if God asked you to go live in the city of joy for 30, the next 33 years of your life? It's only your life. It would be over then. It's only 33 years. And I began to go, oh, now I get it. So what drove Jesus? Why would he make this kind of sacrifice? It's very simple. Just like Stephen Kowalski, he had a driving passion in his heart. He needed to be with us. He knew to impact us, he had to live with us. And he was willing to pay whatever price. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, when he tells a story, he puts it like this. I put the verse there on your note sheet. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, that a virgin will be with child and she'll give birth to a son. And here's what you name him. Here's his name. I want you to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. (laughs) You see, that's his name. Why did he come? Because like Stephen Kowalski, he wanted to be with us. Which, of course, it wasn't with us just for 33 years. Oh, no, no, no. No, Jesus came to be with us in time so he could be with us forever. The baby came in a manger so he could grow up and die on a cross. Because he didn't want to just be with us physically. He wanted to be with us spiritually. In John chapter 14, right before Jesus was arrested, he told his disciples, he said, I've come to be with you. And he said, for every person who will follow me and be obedient to me, he said, my father and I will move into them and live with them. You see, Jesus came to be with us in the flesh so he could be with us in the spirit and come and live with us. But it wasn't just that. He came to be with us once so he could be with us forever, physically as well. And that same night, he told his disciples, don't be upset, I'm going away. But if I go away and prepare a place for you, don't worry, I'm coming back so I can be with you. You see? It's been the heart of God since the beginning of time to be with us. And us through our rebellion, we've rebelled as a race. 
And like the prodigal, we went far from home. But he didn't leave us there. He paid the highest price to, price to come after us, to be with us. In the last book of the Bible, the Apostle John has this vision of the end times and Christ has come back and now we see the new heavens and the new earth and the next age and what's going to be like next. And I want you to see this. It's there in your note sheet, Revelation 21. In his vision, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth and I heard a loud voice from the throne, God saying, now at last... The dwelling of God, his house, is with men. Notice that. At last, I'm with them. Emmanuel. And he will live with them. Emmanuel. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. Emmanuel. You see the heart of God? God's vision for the race is that there would be a day where he could be with us forever. And because it meant so much to him, he was willing to leave the finest gated community in the universe and move not to the city of joy, but to move to the city of David to share our diseases, to share our pain, to learn our language, to live on this hut of a planet, to live with the poorest of the poor because... He could not stand to live without us. But of course, that gift has to be received, doesn't it? Some of you have already opened your presents. Some of us have ours still to come. (laughs) I'm happy about that. But you know the thing about presents is that presents not only have to be given, presents have to be received, don't they? After we're done today, I'll go home with my family. And after a nice brunch... We will open presents, presents we've carefully chosen for each other, presents that we will open up. But presents can't just be purchased. They have to be not just given. They have to be received, right? We have to open them up. And so so God has given us this amazing gift of his son, but each one of us has to decide whether to open that gift. God has said that he wants to be with us. He wants to be with you. But the question is, do you want to be with him? Now, for many of us here, we're entering into a new year next week. For us here at Rocky Peak, they call Rocky Peak home. This is a year where God is calling us to be with him in ways we've never been before. That God wants to come close. It's the message all through scripture. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And as a congregation, God's inviting us as we enter into a new year. He wants to be Emmanuel, God with us at Rocky Peak. He wants us to be a place where we draw near to him and he draws near us to us. And we get to experience his presence and his leading and his guiding. But for some of us here, you may be invited by a friend. You may be a family member. It may be the once or twice a year you come to church. You're not really a church goer, you would describe yourself and yet you feel somehow it's important to be here and perhaps today for the very first time you're realizing this offer, this gift that God has given, what he left behind to come to be with you and that that offer to be with you is not just for Christmas cards, it's not just for manger scenes it's not just for once a year that this God who wants to be with you wants to move into your life well that's a gift that has to be received that's a gift that has to be opened That's something that you have to decide in your heart. You have to say, thank you, God, for this gift. I'm going to unpackage this. 
as we unwrap it, we find out what Emmanuel means. That he's come to forgive our sins. That he's come to change us from the inside out. That he's come to be with us and reserve a place in eternity with him forever. And this gift is there, but it has to be received. And how is that gift received? Well, it's received the same way Mary received the gift when she said, be it done to me according to your will. When she said, God, whatever you want to do with my life, I give my life to you. That's how you receive Emmanuel, you see. Maybe you walked in today and your mind was just going to sing, you know, the normal service, Christmas carols, celebration, a good thing. And all of a sudden you're finding that Jesus Christ, not the baby in the major, but the flaming warrior of the book of Revelation stands before you in all of his glory and he says, will you follow me? I want to live with you. It's an offer he makes. It's a time-limited offer. But what an amazing thing. If this day on Christmas Day, you would receive Emmanuel and open that gift for the first time. Let's pray together. Father, we're just so thankful for this church and what you're doing at Rocky Peak. God, we're excited about that. We're excited because we sense you coming to be with us, you coming to be our Emmanuel. In new ways, personally and corporately, God, you've come this year to meet with us. And we look forward to this new year. And we want to be open. We want to be like Mary that says, be it done to us, O God, according to your will. Come, O male, come, O come, Emmanuel. And Lord, as your church here at Rocky Peak, we welcome you in this Christmas season. And as you give yourself to us as the ultimate gift, we give back the only gift we have to give to you, and that is our whole lives, Lord, in obedience for whatever you want to do this year. Lord, we, we, we give you back that gift. But if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, you've never said yes to Emmanuel, then I'm going to pray a simple prayer right now. Our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, and if it's a desire of your heart to ask Jesus to come and live in you today and to change you from the inside out and to forgive you, then just pray along in your head as I, I pray out loud. Dear Lord, thank you for coming 2,000 years ago. Thank you for bringing me to Rocky Peak today to hear this message. I want to receive you into my life. Will you come today and live inside of me? I give you my life. Take it over. Run it. I accept your offering of forgiveness of sins. I pray that you reserve a place so I can be with you forever. While our eyes are closed and our heads are still bowed, in just a moment we're going to be taking our final offering. And if you had a bulletin, some of you won't, but if you had a bulletin, inside of it is a registration card, a keep in touch card. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, would you do me a favor and just write me a note on that card I prayed that prayer, Mike, or I asked Emmanuel into my life, or however you want to put it. If you don't have a card, write your name and address on your note sheet or something and tear it off and and write me that same note. And then we'll do a couple things. This next couple weeks, we'll be praying for you as you start this new journey with Christ. 
And then we'll also, I'll send you a letter with some suggested steps that you can take, whether you live close here at Rocky Peak or whether you live far away, steps that you can take to start growing in your new relationship with God as he moves into your life. Lord, we thank you for this Christmas weekend. We thank you that we can celebrate you. Thank you for being Emmanuel. We pray this in his name. Amen. I'm just really glad you could be with us uh, today, uh, wherever, whether this is home or you're coming from across the country or wherever. So glad you could be with us. Um, if you are local and you're looking for a home church, uh, we'd love to have you with us next week. I'm going to be doing a two-week series. Dave mentioned it briefly called 2006, Are You Ready to Grow? The fact is, is that God's going to come to each of us this year, throughout this year, with several amazing opportunities for growth. But uh, whether we grow and change or not, it's dependent on whether we're ready for those opportunities when they come. They're not automatic. And so we're going to spend a couple weeks saying, are you ready to grow? And just doing some self-evaluation, asking some questions. So I hope you can be here looking forward to that starting next weekend. Now may the Lord be with you today and this year. May this be a year where Emmanuel becomes more real to you than ever before. This one who would rather die than live without us who has made such great sacrifice to come be with us. May you experience him not only as the Emmanuel of history, but as the Emmanuel of your heart. May this be a year that as you draw, as he draws close to you, that you would draw close to him and vice versa. And may this church be a place that is a manger for Emmanuel. May this church always be a place We're just setting the stage for God to show up and be with us because that's what it's all about. God bless you. Have a great year, and we'll go out singing together.